Right, I um, forgot to mention Sunday, uh, Friday, I mean Saturday at 5 o'clock, we've invited to, invited to a fish fry at uh, First Baptist Church. I thought it was just a fellowship, but uh, uh, Pastor James' daughter caught me Sunday night leaving and said, just want you to know that's my daddy's surprise birthday party. <laughs> so uh, so it's, a, it's a fellowship, but it will be uh, Pastor James, they're, they're planning a surprise birthday party for him, so... Uh, uh, don't put that on the internet, because <laughs> it's supposed to be a big surprise. So, uh, uh, but uh, so if y'all are able, and they said we could bring desserts, uh, and uh, you know, be a fish fry at First Baptist, we've been invited to to be a part of that. So, uh, and and each Sunday night at six o'clock, um, uh, a worship service. They have a worship service there. James has been preaching through the Psalms uh, for the summer. And now that school started back, he's going to do Psalm 23 on Sunday and then go back to the prophet Joel where they left off at the beginning of the summer. So uh, uh, if you, that's Sunday, Sunday at six, every Sunday they have worship. Uh, there's a, actually a trio is going to be providing entertainment during the, uh, uh, the eating. Um, and um, I'm sorry. Yes, I think. Yeah, a trio. Yeah, I think a, a, a trio. Yeah, a trio of singing. They may have instruments. I don't know that they're singing. <laughs> I don't know exactly. But some friends of James. So, uh, so if you're interested in that in that uh, fellowship, that's available to us. Daniel chapter two is where we are tonight, and this is uh, a long text, longer than we normally try to tackle. But uh, uh, there's one idea. And so it wouldn't really make sense to break it into to parts. There's one big idea, it's one event, one narrative. And so uh, what I'm going to do, instead of reading through the text and then, and then talking through it, I will read it as we talk through it. And, uh, and so it's a, it's a long text, but it's really one, one event with one main point. And to kind of direct our, our study, I'll tell you right up front what the main point is. The main point is in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44 and 45. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to you, the king, what will come to pass after this. This dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. So the main idea of Daniel chapter 2 is, is the, king of, the God of heaven, who removes kings and raises up kings, reveals to this king, the king of Babylon, that he will one day replace all human kingdoms with his kingdom, that will endure forever. So that's the main point, a kingdom that will stand forever. And the message to those who first read this uh, prophecy, God's people are in exile are, and uh, been taken away from their homes. Their temple's been destroyed. They are in a foreign land. And God sends this message and assures them that their God, the God of heaven, removes kings and raises them up, he will one day replace all human kingdoms with his kingdom that will never be destroyed. 
And we know from the New Testament that that kingdom has come with Christ Jesus. That kingdom is already, but not yet. When Jesus came, he began preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, but the king uh, was put to death. The king died and ascended uh, into heaven. And the kingdom is already, but not yet. And it will be brought to its fullness, its consummation, when Jesus comes again. So the message to God's people today is really the same as it was to the first hearers. God's people today are in enemy territory. We're in a hostile land. We are uh, in exile. This world is not our home. And we might be tempted to despair. We see pain and suffering all around us. We see persecution around us. Uh, we live in a world where a hundred million Christians live in places where they are constantly persecuted for their faith. A hundred million Christians live in places where Christianity is illegal. And all Christians live in a place, all Christians live in a fallen world where there's pain, there's suffering from a variety of sources. Things don't work the way they should. There's natural disasters. Creation groans under the weight of man's sin. We suffer consequences of our own sin. We suffer the effects of other people's sin. We suffer as our bodies wear out, as there's illness and disease. There are so many sources of suffering that we might be tempted to despair. But God uh, calls us to have hope, believing that the God of heaven, our God, removes kings and raises up kings. He will one day replace all human kingdoms with his everlasting kingdom that will be ruled in righteousness by the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, the King of glory. And God reveals this to Nebuchadnezzar. And the revelation to Nebuchadnezzar begins in a dream. Chapter 2, verse 1, now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, young, early in his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. The human king has a dream that leaves him afraid and keeps him from sleeping. Um, he wakes up in the middle of the night, he's terrified, he's had a dream, a bad dream, a nightmare. Nebuchadnezzar has been a successful general leading the army of Babylon to conquer all of the known world. He is a powerful king. He rules over the mightiest nation that the world has ever seen. But he has had a bad dream and he cannot get back to sleep. He saw a huge statue of a man and the man had a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and a feet of a mix of iron and clay. And suddenly a stone came out of the mountain, a stone that was uncut by human hands, and it rolled down the hill, and it crushed the statue and smashed it into dust, and the wind blew away the dust so that there is no trace of that magnificent statue. And the stone begins to grow, and it becomes a huge mountain, and it grows until it, until it fills up all the earth. And so the king had this dream, and he wakes up in the middle of the night. He's afraid. What does this mean? He cannot go back to sleep because he's thinking, what is the meaning of this dream? He's just in the second year as king, and are the gods trying to tell him something? 
Are the gods trying to tell him that his kingdom is going to come to an end? Is he the statue? Are there enemies that are coming to conquer him? Or is there even an assassin that is coming to do him in? He has seen this magnificent statue reduced to nothing and a stone growing up and filling the whole earth, and he is afraid. The dream has shaken him up, and he doesn't know what it means. And so the king now wants to know the meaning of his dream. Uh, And he is afraid, and he calls his advisors. Verse 2, the king gave the command to the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. And then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give you the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you will be cut in pieces, and your houses will be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. And the king answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream. And they answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will give the interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you will give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such a thing of a magician, an astrologer, or a Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests. And there's no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling place is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out and they began killing the wise men and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Last week, we saw Daniel going through the school of the, uh, uh, the, school of the Babylonians to graduate and serve in the courts. And so they had recently, uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael had recently, uh, and Azariah had recently graduated from the school, but evidently they weren't senior enough to be brought in, but they were uh, wise men enough to be uh, included in the king's execution order. So the king wakes up afraid, and as a result of the king, now all the magicians, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans are afraid. The king does not trust his advisors. If he tells them the dream... Well, they'll just go to their dream interpretation manuals or, uh, and, and find out what the details mean or they will come up with something that they think that the king wants to hear and they will tell him uh, interpretations from their things. And so the king doesn't trust his advisors. He tells them that, uh, uh, he, he, he tells them that you have... Uh, um, where. Where does it say, um, you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. So the king feels like if he tells them the, uh, that's verse uh, verse 9, 
If he tells them the dream, then they're just going to come up with something that they think he wants to hear, something that will make him happy, something that will calm his spirit and make him go to sleep so that uh, nobody will die. <laughs> and so the, the, uh, the, the, the magicians, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans uh, are on, on the spot. He wants to be sure that what they tell him is true. And so he believes if the gods will tell you the dream, then I can trust the interpretation. If you can know what was going on in my mind at the moment that I was asleep, and you can tell that to me accurately, then I can believe that you can also rightly interpret the dream. And so you're going to have to prove to me that you're telling me the truth by telling me what happened in my mind while I was sleeping. And, uh, um, you know, if the gods can tell you the dream, then I can trust the fact that you will get the interpretation right. And the magicians know they cannot do as the kings ask, and they say one thing that is right. Verse 11, it is a difficult thing that the king requests. There's no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. A man cannot do that. He does not know the heart and the mind of man. And so what the king is asking of these men is impossible. And so because Daniel and his three friends are recent graduates of the king's school, uh, they are caught up in this death sentence. And so Daniel asks for time and begs for mercy from the Lord God. Verse 14, then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. We saw at the end of chapter 1 that uh, the king had found Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, to be uh, ten times better than all the magicians and the astrologers who were in his realm. So why didn't he call Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael the first time? We don't know, but he, they're ten times smarter, so the king agrees to give Daniel time. He accused the the magicians and the sorcerers are just asking for more time, but he, he's, he, 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 he consents to give Daniel time. And again, we, we believe that, uh, remember we talked about God's behind-the-scenes sovereignty. God gave Daniel favor in the eyes of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's willing to give Daniel time to go and consult with his God to try to determine what the dream is and to determine its uh, interpretation. So Daniel and his friends go and seek the mercies from the God of heaven. So Daniel went and asked the king to give him more time, verse 16, that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then verse 17, Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek the mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Verse 19, then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And so the God of heaven reveals to Daniel what the king dreamed, what happened in his mind and his subconscious while he was sleeping, 
God reveals it to Daniel, and Daniel responds to praise uh, the God of heaven. Uh, Verse 20, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. Verse 21, key, he removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and dwells and light dwells with him. And so he praises the God of heaven. And the God of heaven is also the God of his fathers. Verse 23, I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might. You have made known to me what we ask of you. And you have made known to us the king's demand. So the God of heaven is also the God of their fathers. And uh, uh, again, think about the perspective of those who are hearing these words for the very first time. Those initial audience, those exiles in Babylon. What a comfort to them to know that their God, the God of their fathers, is in control even in Babylon, even in the foreign land, even in the midst of all these pagan influences, the God of heaven is in control. Wisdom and power are his. He controls the weather. He changes the times and the seasons. And not only does he change the, control the weather, he controls the climate. He is in charge of kings. He raises up uh, kings and removes them. He is in charge of human history. What a comfort. God knows what is in the darkness. And God only, not only knows, he has the power to do something about it. He gives his people wisdom to uh, rightly live in their situation. And he has the power to relieve the pain and suffering of his people. And he gives them hope for a better future. So... The king wakes up, he's afraid. He issues an impossible decree to his advisors that they cannot answer. But Daniel goes, seeks the God of heaven, and the mystery is revealed to him. And so Daniel then uh, goes, gets the opportunity to reveal the mystery to the king. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. Verse 24 is where I'm at. He went and said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king and I will tell the king the interpretation. I love Arioch. He's great. Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said to him, I have found a man. (laughs) So Daniel went to Arioch and said, uh, I got it. But Arioch wants to go in and take credit for it. I have found a man who uh, can tell the king, a man of the captives of Judah, who will make known to the king of the interpretation. And the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? And notice what Daniel does, different from Arioch. Daniel deflects the credit. Verse 27, Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, cannot declare to the king. But... There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. And so Daniel points out that this is the God of heaven. And not only has he revealed to me your dream, 
but he has revealed to you what he is going to do. He is going to reveal to you his plan and his purpose. And so Daniel describes the dream. Verse 29, as for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while you were on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, the secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, uh, who make known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. The image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly, its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And you watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that, stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. And so Daniel, the God of heaven, revealed to Daniel what was in the head of the king on his bed. And so uh, uh, and Nebuchadnezzar knew that whoever could tell him the dream would also be able to give him the right and proper interpretation. And so Daniel reveals the, the, the dream and the interpretation. Verse 36, this is the dream. Now we will tell you the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over all of them. You are this head of gold. And so Nebuchadnezzar, the uh, wicked, pagan, evil king that has taken Jerusalem captive, has taken vessels out of the Lord's temple and put them in the temple of his gods, the pagan king who destroyed Jerusalem, left it in ruins, destroyed the temple, left it all the ways that we saw Jeremiah weeping about in Lamentations, the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. The God of heaven raises up kings and removes kings. God has put you where you are. God is sovereign over human history. He has established you. He has established your kingdom and all of your power and your strength and your glory is a gift of God. The work of God. God raises up kings and he has raised you up, O king, and you are this head of gold. You are the head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, 
A third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron. Inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes that kingdom. Uh, and like iron that crushes that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with the ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile or brittle. And as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And so he reveals the mystery. And it is the God of heaven who has made him the king of gold. And then there will be four, there are four kingdoms. And these four kingdoms are probably identified as Babylon. We know that Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold. The text explicitly tells us that. So we know that uh, most probably the, uh, the next kingdom that is represented by the, uh, uh, the chest and arms of silver would be the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, uh, which will conquer Babylon and be the world's superpower. Cyrus will be the, the king of the, the Medes and the Persians. Daniel will serve in his court. And Cyrus will be the one that will issue the decree that the exiles from Judah can go back to Jerusalem. And then after the Medes and the Persians, the Medes and the Persians are conquered by Alexander the Great. And so the next kingdom, the belly of uh, uh, the belly and thighs of bronze, most probably represents the uh, kingdom of Greece, the Greek Empire, led by Alexander the Great. And then the final kingdom, the kingdom of iron, is uh, most probably the kingdom of, of, uh, of Rome. And then the kingdom of Rome divides into what becomes the, uh, the, uh, the feet, partly of iron, some of the remnants of Rome, but it's weakened, it's divided, mixed with clay, and that is most probably the Roman Empire. The text does not specifically tell us any of these kingdoms other than the, uh, the, the Babylon, the head of gold. Uh, so they're not significant. If we needed to know the names of the kingdoms, we would be told. Um, most probably looking at human history, that is the image, but the text does not tell us specifically. But what is most important is what the text does specifically tell us. The text tells us the meaning of uh, or what will happen next in verse 44, what God will do. Um, God tells us in verse 44, and in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people and it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw the stone was cut out of a mountain without human hands, and then it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king 
what will come to pass after this, the dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. And then as a result of, uh, of this, Daniel is, uh, well, the king responds, verse 46, King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. And the king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. So Daniel, I mean, the, the king responds to worship, uh, worship the, the God of Daniel, and declares him to be the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets. And, uh, uh, and then Daniel is promoted. Verse 48, the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also Daniel petitioned the king and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. And so God has given wisdom to Daniel. God is taking care of his people. God is providing the opportunity for Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be faithful even in enemy territory. And the mystery that he has revealed is a, mystery, a message of hope to those in, in captivity. God removes kings, God raises up kings, and the God of heaven will one day establish his kingdom that will never be destroyed. A message of great hope. And God reveals to Nebuchadnezzar that his kingdom is going to be replaced by another. That kingdom will be replaced and it goes on until finally the kingdom of God will appear and will replace all human kingdoms. And so imagine how comforting this message must have been to God's people suffering in exile. We're far from home. We've been driven out of the promised land. We are weeping in a foreign land. But our God, the God of our fathers, removes kings and sets up kings. This kingdom that has taken us captive will not last. It will re be replaced by another and then another and then another until finally God's kingdom will come. And so these, these exiles, these captives, heard the message that God's kingdom is on the way and when it comes... It will replace all human kingdoms and it will last forever and it will fill the whole earth. This was a message of hope to those living in captivity. And 500 years later, the kingdoms of Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks, have come and gone. 500 years later, Rome rules the world. That kingdom of iron is ruling over all of the world. And while Rome is, has dominion, an angel appears to a young girl, 13, 14 years old, a little girl in a place called Nazareth. And that angel tells the young virgin Mary that she will give birth to a child that will reign over the house of Jacob forever, 
and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then 30 years later, when that child has become a man, a man named Jesus, he will go about the land proclaiming, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. He will do miracles and he will cast out demons. And he will say, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come among you. That stone cut without human hands has come. The kingdom has come among you. But the Roman soldiers will come and bind him and arrest him. And carry him bound to the Roman governor who will hand him over to be crucified and Roman soldiers will put him to death. It'll look to everyone like the kingdom of God has failed. He came proclaiming the kingdom of God is among you. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. If I cast out demons, I've bound up the strong man. The kingdom of God is among you. And yet, the kingdom of the world, the Roman Empire, takes him and binds him and convicts him and executes him, puts him to death and lays him in a, in a grave sealed with all the power and authority of the Roman Empire, sealed and guarded by Roman soldiers. It looks like the kingdom of God came and was defeated by this human kingdom. And darkness is over the face of the earth. But the sovereign God of heaven knows what's in the darkness and light dwells within him as Daniel says in chapter 2 verse 22 he reveals the deep and secret things. He knows what the darkness and light dwells within him. And the sovereign God of heaven can turn apparent defeat into victory. Jesus has been executed by the Roman, handed over for execution by the Roman governor, executed by the Roman soldiers, laid in a tomb sealed with the authority of the Roman emperor, guarded by Roman uh, soldiers. But the God of heaven will turn that defeat into victory and he will raise Jesus from the dead. Light will shine in the darkness and Jesus will live. He will be raised from the dead. And after his resurrection, he gathers his followers, and they come to him and ask, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And so they have seen his death. They thought that the kingdom had come and been defeated. Then they saw his resurrection, and they said, well, surely... This is the time that now that you have been raised from the dead, that you will restore the kingdom to Israel. And that kingdom that Daniel promised will now fill the earth and last forever. Will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? And his followers, they don't realize that the kingdom of God actually comes in two stages. That's a mystery. And the already... Of Jesus' first coming, Jesus came and said, Repent and believe the gospel, the kingdom of God is at hand. He said, If I cast out demons by the power of God, 
by the Holy Spirit, then that shows that the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom has come. The kingdom is already. The king has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. And yet, the kingdom is also not yet. The not yet will come when Jesus comes again. And so when his followers after the resurrection say, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus said, it is not time. Uh, It is not for you to know the seasons which the Father has put under his own authority. And instead of satisfying his curiosity, he puts them to work. He tells them, so so Acts 1-6, they say, at this time are you going to uh, restore the kingdom to Israel? Acts 170 says it's not time for you to know the seasons that the Father's put under his own authority. But then in Acts 1 8, what's he do? He puts them to work. You will be my witnesses. You'll be witnesses unto me in Judea and Samaria, in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the kingdom of God made without hands will begin to spread throughout all the earth through the apostles. And so, the kingdom of God, not made with human hands, we're studying through the book of Acts, and we're seeing that kingdom spread throughout the earth. It sounds like the stone in the dream, doesn't it? The stone that struck the statue became a mountain and filled the whole earth. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken. But on whoever it falls, it will grind him to powder. That's Matthew 12, 20, 42 through 44. And that sound like the stone taking out these human kingdoms, falling on them, grinding them to, pow- to powder so that there's no remnant, no residue of them. The dream, in the dream, the stone that, stru- that struck the feet of the statue crushed them the whole statue fell and was broken to pieces and when we compare with Matthew chapter 12 we see that that stone is in fact Jesus and when it begins to grow his kingdom is a kingdom that fills the whole earth the kingdom of Jesus has come and the kingdom of Jesus is coming it is already it is not yet And it will come in its fullness when Jesus comes again. And when Jesus comes again, he will replace, remove all human kingdoms and establish his kingdom that will fill the earth, will be of every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation, and will never come to an end. And said many Christians today are suffering. Many, suffer, many, many Christians are suffering at the hands of human kings. Since 1990, every year since 1990, about 150,000 Christians have been killed because of their faith. Every year since 1990, somebody can do the math, 30, 32 years, 150,000 Christians a year killed for their faith in Jesus. And there are many other forms of persecution. Christians are arrested, imprisoned, tortured, blacklisted so they can't find work. Places such as North Korea, China, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Northern Africa, many nations, the, the, the Pacific Rim, 
places where when we, we, we send missionaries, we can't even say their names. And when they're being commissioned, their faces are blacked out because they're going to places where Christianity is illegal. It is a crime punishable by death. And all across the world, even in places where there's not open persecution, God's people suffer. Suffer from corruption, unjust wars, fraud, bribery, bad decisions that lead to injustice, financial hardship. Human kingdoms. Human authority. And a lot of times their bad decisions, their bad government leads to hardship. But human and, and human kingdoms have a part in God's plan. God removes kings. He raises up kings. He has established the state for his purpose to, to, to bear the sword. But every single, even though the, the, the state is the servant of God, the ruling officials are the, are the ministers of God to, uh, to, to bring order, they're all ruled by sinful people. And because they're all ruled by sinful people, they can be cruel and evil. And, you know, you look at, you look at Daniel's, or the, the king's dream, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It goes from gold to silver, bronze, to iron, to iron mixed with clay. Is it getting better? <laughs> is it getting better? No, it's getting worse and worse and worse as it is in, the, in there. Um, and so... Uh, Humans aren't going to fix it. Human government is not the answer. While the state is an instrument that God uses, it is not the Savior. Humans aren't going to fix it. And passage of time, increase in technology, none of that is going to solve the problem of evil. No, no human development, no human government, no human discovery, no human technology, no human policy is going to eradicate evil or uh, alleviate suffering and pain. But there is good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom has come with the coming of Jesus and its fullness will come in perfection and completeness in his second coming. And Jesus told the high priest, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. The kingdom has come in the part of mystery that there would be a time when the kingdom was already but not yet. A time when the king would be bodily absent from the earth, but present in the person of the Holy Spirit and in his church, charged to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. To go into all nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything he's commanded, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is now. The kingdom is already. And we have a responsibility to preach the message of the kingdom. And while that is happening, the king 
bodily is seated at the right hand of God, the place of all power and authority, ruling his church from his heavenly throne, present with his church, in his church, through his church, in the person of the Holy Spirit. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, and I'll be with you even to the end of the age. Even though it's bodily seated at the right hand of God, he's present in the person of the Holy Spirit. But one day, one day, when he comes again, his kingdom will come in its fullness. It will come in perfection. It will come in completeness. And he will replace all human kingdoms and he will fill, his kingdom will fill the earth. And then as the loud voices in heaven say in Revelation eleven fifteen, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And so like this message would be a message of encouragement to those who were in exile, those who were suffering, those who had been taken away from their land. The God of heaven who removes kings and raises up king is the God of our fathers. And he will bring an everlasting kingdom that will never be destroyed and will fill the whole earth. There's hope. So take heart. Whatever our circumstances, God's kingdom has come and his kingdom of peace and justice is on the way. And the king offers us hope Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid, little flock. No matter what trial, no matter who the ruler is, no matter what our temporary circumstances are like, we can plead for his wisdom. Seek the mercies of God and pray for wisdom. How can we live in enemy territory? How can we survive? Give us wisdom to answer the authorities the way that we should. We can plead for wisdom. We trust his timing. We depend upon his strength. And he has called us to be faithful. He's called us to persevere. Believing that our God, the God of heaven, who removes kings and raises up kings, will one day replace all, king, all human kingdoms with his everlasting kingdom that will be ruled in righteousness by the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, the King of glory. The days the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it will stand forever. The great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. And even the king answered, truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets. And so... No matter what circumstances, we can have hope, we can persevere, and we can be faithful, even in enemy territory, looking for the coming king. Right. Questions about Daniel chapter 2?
pray together. Lord God, we're thankful for your word. And Lord, we're thankful how it comes through the ages to comfort. Uh, first inspired to comfort your people in Babylon. And now to comfort your people in enemy territory, in a hostile land. In a world that is not our home. Where we are pilgrims, strangers, citizens of heaven looking for a heavenly city. And Lord, we pray that you would grant us grace and wisdom to be faithful, to persevere, to not lose hope. Even when we're surrounded by pagan influences, pagan propaganda, hostility, Lord, help us not to lose hope, but to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods, and Lord, help us to be looking for the kingdom that will endure forever. And may that give us hope and comfort. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.